0: The Raindrop Corner podcast, a chill place where creatives in real life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things. And I am your host, Kay. And this week's guest was Alina Olander, who is an amazing person. She's a visual artist and muralist. She focuses in mixed media, and it was really cool talking to her about not just art, because we talk to a lot of artists on this particular podcast, but talking about using art from an early age through the lens of trauma and navigating that in a place where you essentially kind of feel sort of alone as you're trying to figure out who you are and also just finding a balance between growth and also incorporating your culture and incorporating the things going on in the world into your art in a way that isn't reactive but in a way that prompts very thoughtful responses from people so I really loved the shift in the conversation because I feel like it kind of added an extra layer to conversations that we've had with previous guests so I hope that you all enjoy this episode and without further ado here is an ode to our guest. My magical world was circle in line, talent benign. I was fine. These moments alone were by design. I didn't need to whine. I colored crystal fey. Pictures of people who failed to stay, but they didn't know, did they? That among black and white, it's typically just shades of gray. At least until the night steals dark hymns away. In my note, no, my sketchbook, I carved my own rook. People in places beneath my skin like a hook. My mom trying to sneak a look these tattered pages, I dare say concealing a lost rook. My kin though, my kin dared to see me, some innate power to be. Still there's always a feat. I did agree though, to walk reluctantly into classes with no guarantee, passions somehow swirling and failing to make me feel free. My hands chose the lens and not the concrete. Vivid murals lining some half-empty street. Teenagers beatboxing to a catchy beat. But this is the heat, this is the heat that finds me in repeat. Craving colors, I told to retreat. So I painted her and him, letting go of feigned doubts now condemned. My message was a gem, gold risen from painful phlegm. I'm not better than them, but I know the pain of a limb lost when the earth grows dim. Ha, the artist is their country in ancient blood, they say, the proverbial slap of the great flood. See, I learned to wrestle in this mud so that I could rise with more than a gentle nudge. My magical world was it was circle and line, talent benign. I was fine. These moments alone were by design i didn't need to whine because not every soul loses its shine. We have with us today, Alina Olander. welcome to the Raindrop Corner podcast it's a joy to have you on the show. I adore your work and it's it's truly a marvel to behold and that's not just me being cheesy about it it really is it's a very transcendent medium that you practice so you are a visual artist and muralist that focuses in mixed media illustration you have done numerous amounts of exhibitions and gallery showings in california tennessee kansas and also florida with some upcoming projects coming up the pipeline as well. First off, thank you so much for coming on the Raindrop Corner podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's my honor. You're very welcome. And I I think what really drew me in and what really made me want to talk to you is how your pieces seem to kind of touch the spirit. First time I saw a piece of your work, one thing that I noticed is you feature figures a lot. So you have a figure A lot of times it's a woman or a woman who can almost be interpreted as being androgynous. And the one focal piece that I noticed about your piece was the eyes and how intense and dynamic and how they drew you in. When you are crafting art pieces, what essentially are you trying to pour into it? What do you want people to see when you produce your murals and your mixed media pieces of work?
1: That's a very good question. It's definitely something I ask myself on a regular basis, especially in the process of making the piece, but also when the piece is finished. Mm-hmm. I think traditionally, let me, let me backtrack, I think traditionally when you look at a lot of art, especially figure work, mm-hmm. whether that be a painting or, or, or graphite or another form, of a medium, oftentimes a figure is, like, looking to the side. Uh, they're not really confronting the viewer with their eyes. And I found this to be something interesting. So for me, I find it very important that the figure confronts the viewer because whatever is going on internally with me that's expressed through the work is going to resonate through the figure to the viewer, mm-hmm. and hopefully there's like an open dialogue that's happening. And of course, it's uh, something that's going to be interpreted individually, mm-hmm. but somewhere in there is a meaningful connection, and that's really what I'm looking for when I create work outside of my intention.
0: I like that a lot, and I feel like with any form of artwork. Even if people have similar interpretations, it's always a little bit different from person to person. And that's one of the coolest things about artwork, whether it's in the form of a painting, a mural, a book, a movie, whatever vehicle it takes. So I want to backtrack a little bit and learn a little bit about you and how you kind of found your footing in the art world. And I phrase it that way because I feel like An artist is born an artist, even if they don't necessarily practice all of their current skills um, continuously throughout their life or if it changes or shifts. So tell me about your early relationship with art. Early
1: relationship. I think you're right that um, artists are often artists before they may be self-aware Maybe the way they express or communicate evolves over time as they discover a medium that best communicates. For me, drawing was kind of a catharsis. Really, from a very young age, uh, I spent a lot of time by myself. I am the youngest of seven. seven nine, oh seven, wow! I don't know <laughs> But my closest uh, sibling is 10 years my senior, so by the time I'm like five years old, they're already kind of on their way out of the house, so I really felt kind of isolated in more of like uh, like an only child situation, Mm -hmm. and my parents were much older in age by the time they had me, and so I think... There was a lot going on there mm-hmm. that I spent a lot of time about I, I leaned in. There wasn't a lot of electronics like there are today <laughs> with iPads and iPhones or whatever is the device. Um, but I would draw, I would read. Like Those are the things that I like to do with my time. And uh, drawing was kind of a sacred practice for me. I definitely didn't want other people to to see it like I was self-conscious about my private expression and uh, my mother would come and like look over my shoulder and I would I would pull away Mm -hmm. and be like no this is uh, my private space and um, but I think what I didn't realize was you know I, I had gone through quite a bit of trauma and I was expressing that through the work and somehow you know in retrospect if my mom would see that, perhaps she may or may not notice that uh, um, what I'm doing or what I'm communicating is is uh, not only a sacred practice, but also like uh, reflective of her parenting or my father's parenting. So, of course, that's in retrospect. I couldn't communicate that being five years old or mm-hmm. moving into an older age, but. I think about it now, and that's definitely kind of my earliest um, relationship with art was that it was an outlet for, you know, trauma and um, my interpersonal relationships with my family.
0: And how were you able to navigate it being very sacred and more so reflective from a personal standpoint? to feeling moved to share that art with other people. I
1: think it took a very long time to get there. If we move forward in time from that very kind of uh, raw moment of discovery, I had a time in my life where I ended up living with a sister. She uh, had non Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. and she was undergoing chemotherapy and she had just her and her husband, and they, they were living uh, away from family, so there was no real support. And I ended up living with them to kind of help them out. But also, I needed help just as much. Like, I didn't have support in, in my home um, from my mother. She became a single mother. She was working all the time. She was in, in an interesting place in her life. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to suffer in terms of, grades and focus like with school with everything and so I uprooted my life with her and she recognized in me that there's something there in my artistic expression and she encouraged me to to take some classes like why not do it you have like electives all of these electives available to you like just try it out maybe you like it and so I did and I ended up really immersing myself in every class they had to offer. Like, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. I'm learning so many things that I didn't know in terms of process or mediums that I hadn't been exposed to before. Um, And so I was really trying a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. and then um, starting to share that work in the the form of, like, student exhibition Mm -hmm. and feeling the weight of, of letting go and saying, like, it's okay for others to, one, critique my work for evolution and growth, but also um, for viewers to connect with my work in in ways that's going to open my eyes to new perspectives, you know, because I think it's easy to get caught up in, like, what it means to me. And, and so... I think that was a learning process to kind of come outside of that.
0: It's a good point that you bring up too. And it's something that I hear echoed by a lot of different artists once they start taking classes or they open their mind up to learning what I call the craft of artistry, where there are so many different elements that you can pick up and you apply it to who you are. And what falls out is your actual voice <laughs> um, yeah. with all of those biases stripped away, even though those biases are actually very part of you, are a very crucial part of your artistic journey as well. Um, what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself and then your art during that time?
1: The biggest thing I learned about myself was that there aren't always concrete answers and that life is non-linear and uh, it's more about the journey than it is about the destination. And that seems to be true even now, Mm this many years later from that time of of, like formative years uh, between maybe 14 and 20 years old. Uh, not that all years aren't formative in some way, <laughs> but those are quite crucial crucial years, I they think. They are. And yeah, I, I think as far as my art, I still, to this day, find myself exploring everything and allowing all of those experiences to inform my craft now, which is why I consider myself a mixed media illustrator Mm -hmm. it's uh an unusual way to describe your medium uh mostly you would say I'm a painter. I'm you know like there's all these like very specific I'm a ceramicist or you know like Mm -hmm. uh, a dancer I I'm somewhere in between and I'm okay with that just the best way I know how to describe it at this point but uh it's mixed media because I like to have a
0: little bit of everything. (laughs) It goes back to you saying that not everything is linear, though, and it allows for fluidity in your art and how you choose to share that with other individuals. Another thing I wanted to dive into as well, you explore a lot of topics such as individuality, gender issues, and social justice in your work what made you want to illustrate those specific concepts in your work and how have they impacted your life personally?
1: Well, I think with the identity and individuality and gender issues and even the like societal gaze, Mm -hmm. those types of things um, were something that I started to explore in my undergrad which was uh, photography-based. I felt that photography was going to be a more viable, sustainable career path. Uh, So I shied away from what I knew and picked up something else. And it's a totally different form of expression and reaction and communication. And I think... I realized that I could turn the camera around and I could take self portraits that had a conceptual narrative behind the work. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really started to explore kind of identity and individuality and all of this. And so when I did that, I think I learned a lot about myself in the sense that I have a lot of baggage that I have have to confront (laughs) Uh, like, why am I interested in these particular topics I think it says a lot about what's going on with me Um, as I work through creating work while also writing about the work something I'm not most comfortable with um, in terms of uh, communicating my intentions (laughs) Uh, but deconstructing that together with the work, and then looking internally and saying, okay, what's going on with me? Why why are these conversations important? And so I started to realize all of that trauma that I had gone through in childhood really created an interesting way of safety mechanisms Mm that made me really feel safe right mm-hmm. like it may not be the most healthy way to uh move forward and through those types of things but they're what made me feel safe so they became like habits mm-hmm. right and then how do i break out of those habits and and move into a truer space of healing and and so my work as it's evolved from photography to where it's at right now, coming full circle back to drawing and painting and all of this, I think I've found healing in that process. Um, I mean, I also saw a therapist, which was quite helpful Mm -hmm. in understanding a lot of it, but I definitely think that's a huge part of it. And as far as social justice goes, never really saw myself as an art activist it wasn't uh i, I want to be an art activist <laughs>
0: uh
1: i i never thought that it, i mean not that it, i wouldn't want to you know explore those narratives because they do have great meaning to me but i i it was 2020 the pandemic happened a lot was going on and mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about intersectionality and how important it is to, if you're going to support one thing, then these other things that people can fall into multiple uh, large groups of of people, Mm -hmm. then how can you support this one thing and not this other thing? So it was like, how do I talk about that in my work Mm -hmm. from a personal perspective? But also, like, reaching out because the work became what I call hyphenated identity. Mm-hmm. So the, the body of work is called hyphen.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, that, the reason why is because I didn't want to just focus on, on my hyphenated American experience. I wanted to talk about all of it. And it takes time to get there. I, you know, it's a really heavy, heavy space to live in. Mm -hmm. all of the time so I have these like waves where I'm like okay I'm ready to kind of confront and talk about all of this stuff that happened in such a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. and and show society a reflection of themselves and say how can we how can we take what's going on and like create a narrative Mm -hmm. of understanding and maybe utilizing this art as a form of of some sort of education in Mm -hmm. a way, I mean, it's not my responsibility to educate others. You know, that's not my responsibility. I just, I'm just trying to like literally show a mirror of what's going on and allow the viewer to see maybe potentially why there are issues going on with that. Mm -hmm. And then be like, okay, how can I be a part of the positive change? You know?
0: I like that because you're opening a dialogue and you're opening the conversation without pressuring the conversation, which in a lot of ways can bring more people in. People, especially after 2020, people tend to be on the defensive. So if they see something that they view as aggressive or something they view as finite, then they're more likely to reject it or to just... Turn their back to it altogether. Whereas, if there is something that is eye catching and interesting and unique, it maybe brings up things that they normally wouldn't look at, but it does it in a way that prompts them to look within. It is a better way to plant that seed and then give that person the choice as to whether or not they want to walk through that doorway. So, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, art is healing and without art we die. I honestly believe that and I believe that there is so much introspection and just so much understanding that can come from art. When you say a hyphenated um, point of view or a hyphenated American, explain to me exactly what you mean for people who might not be as familiar with that terminology. Sure, I
1: mean I think from a linguistic standpoint, the hyphen creates a divide, mm-hmm. right? So uh, uh, African-American, Asian-American, Latino-American, like the list goes on, right? Mm-hmm. But this hyphen that's in between those two words uh, tells me that American is, is not the same thing as these two words together. Like mm-hmm. they are not together. So um, to me, just breaking that kind of fundamental language down mm-hmm. and understanding the divide that's created there from like a very early space of let's let's say in 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 school in, in American schools we we learn about language and grammar and when to use the hyphen and so like. I don't think anybody really questions that from like um, a social issue standpoint. They're like, "Oh, this is the rule of language. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this here because that's grammatically correct. Okay, but also like this thing holds so much weight, you know? Because uh, I consider myself American. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to uh, separate myself into this other group that, that is not? American, it, it 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 perpetuates this idea of other, mm-hmm. and so like to me that is a big issue. <laughs> like, it's a huge me, issue, a issue. <laughs> and it seems like a small thing, but actually it's a very big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the premise behind uh, hyphen
0: And thank you for explaining that. And I think a lot of people can benefit from it as well because. I remember I actually saw that phrase presented in such a way, I think it was like three or four years ago, and then I had to do a lot of digging as well, because I realized that I resonated a lot with it, but I wasn't familiar with it, so thank you for sharing that. And on the same train of that, because you're right, um, living in America, if you If you visibly look different than your standard settler-based American, then you are kind of by default put into this box and expected to adhere to certain stigmas and stereotypes that come with that box. In your artwork, you talk specifically about the Asian diaspora. Can you explain exactly what that is?
1: That's That's a good question. I think as far as exploring that, um, there's a lot of, uh, well, from my my personal perspective, let's just start there. My father is an immigrant, and so is my mother. So that made me a first-generation American born here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Okay, so I'm not the only one. In this country, who is an immigrant, actually, we're all immigrants of some form by choice, or not to come here. And whether we're first, second, third, fourth generation, um, we're all from somewhere else, except for the Aboriginal Mm -hmm. people who were here before us, which erasure is a real thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, as far as like trying to preserve culture in history, yet also, like, on the other end, trying to say, but I am American, and this is what makes America such a beautiful place, is that we are all from somewhere else in some capacity, and maybe uh, I may not be fully connected with my roots, but I'd like to be, and so I'd like to preserve that, because I think... It's very worldly, mm-hmm. and, and America is a representation of that, it's supposed to be with uh, open borders, and people can come and immigrate here and, and have called this place their home mm-hmm. and, and have children with potentially opportunities that may not have existed in the in places that they came from um, for various, various reasons. Um, and there's this idea of the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's true. to have whatever that is. You know, I do think at some point there was a standard American dream, but now I think it it has evolved into lots of different American dreams. But I think this whole American conversation, I want to be inclusive. I have to come from a place that I know, Mm -hmm. right? In order to kind of penetrate and connect to people who may relate to those same feelings they may not have the same experience they may not be from the same place but they can relate to that kind of um, experience here in America and I can't speak to other countries I'm Mm -hmm. sure they have their own view of things but at least for the, the American experience that's that's the motivation to really do it is to Um, Connect people to their collective experiences.
0: It kind of brought me back to something that you made mention of, not necessarily here, but when you talk about your work about the importance of historical memory. When you approach a piece, do you approach it from a place of culture every single time you go to work on creating that story? I
1: think I do. I don't think I always did. Mm-hmm. I think initially it was just a raw form of expression that was like, how do I get out of whatever is inside? Um, and then it started to evolve to where I said, okay, there's an opportunity here to imbue a deeper um, sense of meaning or intention that's specific, mm-hmm. um, but yet still open enough that people are pulled in um, without feeling like mm, there's a huge disconnect. Like, I, I'm trying to understand that relationship, um, so I can't say that uh, some people walk by and like, I don't get it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. maybe, possibly... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and other people who are pulled in deeply and they're like, Oh, but then but then that also brings me to this other place of like privilege to be able to like come into a gallery space setting or institution and be able to interact with art, and that's why like public art is really also something that's become important to me mm-hmm. is that I realize that it's more accessible and inclusive if it's outside. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's true. That's very true. <laughs>
1: um, whereas like inside it's not quite as accessible, whether that's about time, whether that's about where where the work is exhibited, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is factor is it some fancy gallery with white walls with big big price numbers and like you know hors d'oeuvres and wine and champagne flowing everywhere um maybe is it in a museum that is either ticketed or or whatever and you can get in that way or you know maybe they have some free days to go to view stuff i think that to me is a whole other conversation i'm starting to confront in Work Mm -hmm. outside of like coming from a place of culture, also saying, Okay, how is my work accessible? Because that's something that I really want, Mm -hmm. um, but I also have to make a living so that I can continue doing (laughs) what I love to do. Very true. This weird balance, Mm -hmm. right? Of like my feeling some kind of social responsibility, but also being a conduit for healing, right, Mm -hmm. through my work, but also trying to live and eat, but also not be a sellout. Like, I don't know. Like, there's so many...
0: (laughs) There's a duality there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of overwhelming to navigate. Uh, I really saw artwork as like, oh, I can just draw what I want and now that I feel comfortable I can share share that Mm -hmm. and and not really think about it and just focus on creating the work but that's not really the case anymore I spend so much more time thinking about all those things I mentioned plus some and and spend more time out of the studio than in the studio
0: I feel like that's a huge part of being an artist just in any facet. It seems like you can just go do it and then it's done and then you you either sell it to somebody or you present it publicly for people to absorb. And you're right, it's very much so not that. Now, in terms of being an artist, not just somebody who creates for the sake of creating, but also somebody who very consciously creates, how do you balance the pressures and obstacles that come with that? and provide self-care to yourself? I mean, uh, I (laughs) laugh.
1: Well, honestly, I neglect myself too much and I really ought to set more time aside for self-care. It is definitely about time management. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge factor and then prioritizing your time as well to say like here are the things that i'm willing to do because they feed me internally mm-hmm. right but also like here are the things that i kind of have to do to live <laughs> and then here are the things that i really don't want to do but i have to do. Mm-hmm. and and balancing that, moving forward, in time. I think you know I'm adding on to that this extra layer of of grad school and a teacher's assistantship, and I'm looking at those schedules like, what?
0: Yeah, that's an insane How? schedule, but I mean, I'm excited for you and happy for you it's worth it though.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what I keep telling myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I cannot just stop my career
1: and put it on hold. To, to do these other things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how do I incorporate what I'm exploring in grad school into my career so that I'm like making the most of my time mm-hmm. um, but also <laughs> like making the most of my education, right? Because mm-hmm. that education for me to figure out more things about myself and my career and it feels very self in that way but it, it is i'm not doing it for for the professor i'm not doing it for someone else you know so i have to make my education what i want it to be so i can get the most out of it and so yeah time management
0: <laughs> it's super important you mentioned not being a sellout i think i saw this it was either on instagram or facebook but it was like a community post about how artists are treated differently when they choose to either go to school to elevate their station as an artist, or they, they make it bigger, so to speak. They make it big, or they get that job that's going to sustainably pay the bills, where they're able to be more lax and maybe work on projects that are a little bit closer to home because they now have the ability to and how when you make it big, so to speak, it's considered being a sellout, a disengagement that can happen with certain asp- certain areas of the community where either they aren't as supportive or they almost look down on you for doing that. And I, I think, like you said, it goes back to balancing, to self-care, to time management, and... I just really have to tell you that I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I will be honest with you. I was like, what am I going to talk about? I was very familiar with your artwork. And I was like, you know, I'll keep it fun and engaging and we'll talk about the color palettes. And, you know, the more I looked at your artwork and the more that I learned about you, I discovered just how much value you add to artist conversations and how much value your art adds to the community. So (laughs) I know this was quite a deep conversation, but sincerely, um, Elena, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And it was a joy to have you. And if people want to learn more about you or your artwork or where they can view your artwork, where should they go to do that?
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. It has been such a pleasure. And yeah, I I get quite deep in conversation. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I get quite passionate about it real quick.
0: I do too. Um,
1: <laughs> so, I mean, we could have a whole other conversation that like goes further into this, but so thank you for having me. You're
0: and, very
1: welcome. Um, people want to find me i have a website uh www.elenaolander.com and uh i also have an instagram which is my most socially active social media uh which is elena underscore olander thank you for having
0: me (laughs) No, thank you for being on the show and of course you are welcome back thank you for the breath of fresh air that you give to art in just your added voice. It's so important and so needed. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. I cannot end this episode without giving an immense thanks. To Alina Bolander. You are absolutely amazing. And if you want to check out her artwork, um, and I promise you it is definitely a treat and it is an experience that you most likely have not had before, um, please visit her website and check out what she's doing. Um, I'll also have all of her socials linked below. I need to give a super, super just sincere thank you to every listener and supporter of this podcast as of late i've gotten a lot of love whether it's through messages texts um phone calls emails from people just supporting the podcast um guests who want to be on the podcast og listeners new listeners and people that really just enjoy what this podcast does and it's always a pep i love doing this i really do there are also a lot of really cool changes coming to this podcast as we evolve and also as we kind of find our footing. This is me kind of going off on a very small tangent and I promise I won't make you listen to my voice for much longer. This is the year where I kind of grew into the person that I've always had the potential to be but never quite got there. And in many ways, the podcast did the same thing. In previous years, the podcast was very intermittent or not a lot of that to do with health. But now I'm in a season of my life where my health is good. The people coming to the podcast just bring with them every single guest that we have this awesome energy and just zeal for whatever they do. And it's helped me know what trajectory I want to take this podcast. in. It's still going to always remain true to its mission, which is essentially being a podcast that spotlights unique creatives and individuals and in other facets of society who are doing thoughtful, engaging types of things or creating that kind of content. And this will always be a platform for creatives and magic makers. Thank you for going on this journey with me. And I'm super excited to see where we go next.